0: welcome to episode 51 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host always Edward Jones and joining me of course is the Professor Mr Stephen Palmer. Hello everybody. And tonight we are taking a little bit from a break from our normal programming as we're going to be looking at Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer and even better still we're joined by a very special guest as it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show M from Verbal Diorama. Hello. Hello M. Hi. Thank you for... um, for coming and joining us to talk about uh, Snowpiercer, a film which a lot of Americans couldn't understand why us Brits were so excited to finally watch it uh, when it was released over here last year. I mean, this is a 2013 film, and we took almost as long to get it as they did to get uh, Battle Royale and All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. But it's just been a crazy ride with this one, and now as we're here recording, uh, as of the 23rd, the show is set to release on Netflix on Monday, so if we had timed this a little bit better, we could have talked about the show, but tonight we're just going to obviously focus on the film. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we obviously get into that, I mean, Em, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what it is you do?
1: Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much for letting me come on um, and talk about Snowpiercer um, because it's a film that I have a lot of love for so i'm really happy to be here um but um i host a podcast called verbal diorama and i like to talk about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't um i've co- covered a few uh sort of asian cinema related movies not very many um mainly kind of linked more towards anime in all honesty um, but i've covered akira and i've covered three studio ghibli movies as well hell's moving castle spirited away and my neighbor totoro that's not the kind of limit to uh my experience with asian cinema um i don't just watch anime (laughs) but um but yeah uh i'm i'm completely fascinated by snowpiercer as as an entity um, and what it stands for um and um yeah i'm i'm super excited to be here and um is that, I think that's everything you need to know about me. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you need to know anything else. Um, so I'm just really excited.
0: Yeah, definitely <laughs> so. I mean, what's the initial sort of inspiration for wanting to create a podcast? I mean, you've obviously said already it's not just one particular genre or type mm-hmm. of film that you're covering. It's just a wide range of film. I mean, obviously looking at your film history that you've done, I mean, you've looked at sort of like, Classics such as St. Clueless. You've also looked at popcorn hits such as The Night's Tale. And then you've also dived off into more sort of random tangents. You looked at like John Wick, and you've looked at, as you said already, Akira, which is just a completely opposite end of the schedule to something like Clueless. So, where yeah. did the sort of interest in wanting to start a podcast obviously come from?
1: I mean, I've always been a fan of cinema. Um, I mean, I've I've always been quite uh, vocal about the fact that you know I'm not a film critic. Um, I don't set out to give a review, um, although I do generally tend to tell people what I think. Ultimately, the point of the podcast is uh, how did this film get made, and and why did this film get made, and and what what is the kind of end result of of this film and its uh, its relevance, I guess, in in kind of today. In kind of modern times. Um, And I also like to look at things that are a little bit derided. I've done uh, John Carter, um, which obviously a lot of people have a lot of hatred for, and I still don't understand why, because I think it's okay. Um, I've done uh, obviously Dread as well, which has a, a little bit of a similarity to Snowpiercer, I think um in in a couple of subtle ways but um again it's a movie that didn't do very well um and yeah I kind of like to keep it I like to keep it a bit mixed to be honest I never want to be the sort of podcaster who only looks at um a certain genre of, of film or um you know I just like to have quite a nice variety I like to mix it up I'm going to be trying to introduce a bit more horror because horror is a genre that's not my favorite um and just kind of, yeah, just just try and keep it nice and varied, and so there's something for everyone to enjoy, hopefully, well, that's kind of my aim, um, but ultimately, it's always stuff that I feel that, that I enjoy, and I feel people can really get something out of if you if you take away kind of peel away the layers of of um, a movie just to kind of see well, what does this movie actually mean, what does it stand for and and yeah how how relevant is it? today um i yeah i, I kind of enjoy it really i i always get such uh an enjoyment and and you, you the way i look at it you kind of got to love what you do and uh, and and the podcast has always been about well i really enjoy talking about movies so uh it, it just just makes a lot of sense for me to do it i guess
0: yeah definitely it's always good to enjoy what making something about things that you enjoy um and it's a sort of like a a process for what sort of films are picked is it like films that interest you or is there like a a list of recommended films that you're sort of working your way through i mean what how do you pick the films which make the sort of the cut to be featured on the show um
1: it's it's a feeling which is it's kind of the weirdest way to describe it but i always have a feeling of, of something that i want to do next and and i do plan ahead quite far into the distance but my schedule kind of always mixes and matches and it's very much dependent on how I feel at the time. Um and sometimes I find it really easy to put something in. Um, sometimes, like for example, I, I put a poll up on Twitter. This was like back in September of last year, September, October time. No, September. Um, and it was basically I said, well, I want to do one of these movies. And it was a choice between Logan and Edge of Tomorrow, which are both movies that I absolutely adore for many different reasons. And the Twitter poll came back and it was very close and it, Logan was the one that was chosen. And I was like, but I really want to do Edge of Tomorrow. So I ended up doing both of them, like one after the other, because I was like, but I love these movies so much. I really want to talk about them. Um, I mean, it's there is literally no rhyme or reason. It's literally, well, what do I think I want to do after this? Like what, what would complement this movie? What would be completely different to this movie? Um, like, I've done um, I have did a uh, an episode on Passengers, uh, which is actually not a brilliant movie. But I really wanted to actually talk about why it wasn't so brilliant and kind of really look into the problems with the movie, but also kind of say, well, this movie could be so much better if they actually, you know, just tweaked it a little bit, made it a little bit different. It would be better. Um, I mean, there, there genuinely is no rhyme or reason. It is. It, it is just a well this is i think this is what i want to do next um and i I do have a list i have what i call the big list and it's a list it's a private list on letterboxd and it always gets added to and added to it's it's like five years worth of stuff at least um in the list um sometimes things will just like randomly get put in um but otherwise it's literally how what do i really want to do like where Where is the passion kind of in this particular movie? And if if something's coming up and I don't really feel it, then I'll just take it out and replace it with something else. And, yeah, it's it's a very um, fluid process for me. Um, But ultimately, it's got to be you've got to find something that kind of sparks that joy a little bit, because otherwise I'd find it difficult to talk about it if I didn't have a joy within it or something that I can take out of it, so.
0: Okay. And something I also want to ask you about, I mean obviously you've spoken many times on your show about it, and that's you're a huge Buffy fan. <laughs> yeah. Does it is your sort of fandom sort of limited to just Buffy, or is it like the whole Whedon universe that you sort of like?
1: Uh, I, I am a big fan of of Joss Whedon, despite his uh, problematic um, stuff. Because uh, let's face it, the guy, he he himself is quite problematic. Um, I think retrospectively looking at a lot of his works, you could argue that some of his characterizations are problematic, but I'm not even going to go there. Um, yes, I am a big fan of Buffy. Buffy has been such an integral part of my life. Um, I got introduced to Buffy when I was quite young, when it was actually showing on BBC Two because um, i remember back in the day it was actually shown on bbc2 yep. um and um yeah it's um and i i never really watched it religiously i was kind of dipping in and out of it and it wasn't until much later that i actually started to watch it properly um i really kind of understood the overarching stories a little bit better because it's a bit difficult when you're popping in and out of a tv show on bbc2 you know that you happen to catch um but um, I I am a big fan of the Buffyverse. Um, I, I've watched Buffy more than Angel, uh, admittedly. Um, I'm a big fan of Firefly. Um, Serenity is one of those movies that kind of, it goes in the schedule and then it kind of gets bumped out. And I, I'm trying really hard to get it in because I really do want to talk about Serenity. Um, even though I, it's not as good as Firefly, I think... I, I, it's got something about it that um i mean it still crushes my soul but, but there's there's something about serenity that i think is quite special and um uh, yeah i quite enjoy dollhouse there are issues with that as well <laughs> but um yeah i i'm the weed uh is is an interesting um prospect um, there's a there's a lot of greatness in there there's a lot of good things in there there's also a lot of slightly mediocre things in there um but Buffy is i still say is the greatest t v show ever made despite uh you know a not great final season um and some uh, mediocre episodes i've never said there's a never say there's a, a bad episode of Buffy because I don't think there is but um, there are some mediocre episodes of, of Buffy that the show could do without, but uh, there's also some um, excellent episodes of Buffy. I actually did a special episode on Hush um, last Halloween because it's one of my favourite episodes of Buffy, and I just think it's just such a phenomenal piece of storytelling, um, especially when you literally have 40 minutes. Well, it's not a total 40 minutes, but it's a 40 minute episode and um most of which is completely silent. i think is just stuff like that just blows my mind how how they did that um it's uh it's it's a really special episode but yeah uh, i wasn't i wasn't expecting you to ask me about buffy but i'm glad that you did yeah because it's it's the best
0: of course it is steven do you have any strong opinions on the Buffy verse or the weirds in the universe at all?
2: i'm going to be controversial here and so i never really got into buffy um Never. lucky it's coming
0: back to e4 soon. It gym. is, yeah.
2: On the other hand, <laughs> I bloody love Firefly. Yeah. And I really love Serenity, but but Buffy, Angel, all that. I think I'm. I, I don't know why. I just I just never got into it. I tried a couple of times, and so maybe I tried too hard. Um, and it's strange because it's the sort of show that would absolutely appeal to me. But there's just something about it I didn't get. But, uh, yeah, Firefly, yes. Buffy, yeah, not so much. Sorry.
0: <laughs> She's the pretty girl who chases the monsters rather than the other way around. I mean, what's not to love about the principal? It gave a whole generation of young boys um, feelings for Sarah Michelle Geller, which I'm sure still carry across and probably even more so when they saw Cruel Intentions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and it gave a whole generation of young girls, uh, James Masters, as uh, a Spike. Oh. So I'm forever grateful for you that. See,
0: now you see, when it comes to Spike, Spike is an extremely problematic character because of his I actions. I know, Which, because The and <laughs> passed it over to a supposedly reliable showrunner who then decided to break the show in a way that certain characters should never have been returned, much less forgiven. And the fact that she proudly boasts it on her Twitter handle of I break your favourite shows I'm thinking, you know, take some responsibility. You screwed up and you're the reason we don't like the last season. I think after with it should have really ended with uh, season five, I want to say, um, with uh, Glory. I thought that was just a f- fantastic final season. Had a wonderful uh, final episode, but you know. We had to yeah. <laughs> <Lord laughs> evil willow Root and
1: yeah. I think I think theoretically I agree with you because I think that uh the gift as as a finale, I think you you could not beat the gift. Um I think it's it's just a phenomenal piece of TV, and it would have been so ballsy, not to give anything away, but it would have been so ballsy for them to finish uh a primetime TV show that way. Uh, uh, you know, from my point of view. But then I'm a big fan of season six, season six Buffy when Buffy, uh, well, oh, I wasn't going to spoil it, so, but season six of Buffy um, when she's going through some really dark times, you know, it deals with, um, you know, essentially growing up too fast. It deals with depression, deals with, you know, some really dark issues. Um, I think the show grows up a lot in season six. And, and I, I, any any season of any tv show that has a musical episode that's as good as once more with feeling is you can't apologize for a season that has once more with feeling because it's just it's just great i love once more with feeling i I have the cd in my car i sing along to it all the time (laughs) you know it's one of the best examples of, of a musical episode of tv um that so many have tried to emulate and pretty much everyone has failed so uh yeah thank you joss whedon for uh writing once more with feeling
0: <laughs> yeah i've got a, got a whole bunch of strong opinions of my own when it comes to once more with feeling but you know since we're about 15 minutes into the show probably going to save those ones <laughs> for another occasion
1: yeah we'll talk about that after
0: <laughs> yeah exactly Okay, um, Snowpiercer, as we said, this was released in 2013. This is Bong Joon-ho's English-language debut. He made it before he obviously won the Oscar with uh, Parasite, which we obviously discussed in our episode where we looked at Mother, uh, which, Stephen, you had some interesting theories of how much work actually went into him winning the Oscar for Parasite and what it meant to be culturally
2: my conspiracy theory
0: (laughs) it's not really a conspiracy theory obviously
2: you know just in in, in short the 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 south korean government have have worked long and hard over the last 20 or so years to get their sort of their cultural output to be recognized across asia and 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 across the world which is why we have very popular k-dramas which is why we have very popular um uh, k-pop and the like um and I don't think it's that big a stretch to understand that they really got behind this film. And that's why Bong, Bong was was in America for about six months. It felt like on every chat show on, on the charm offensive. I mean, it's not it's not it's not to denigrate his abilities as a director. Not at all. But um, we all know the Oscars are fixed. And I'm pretty certain that um, quite a lot of money was put into to making that number one, because, as you know, I don't think it's his best film by a long stretch.
0: Yeah. Obviously, when it uh, comes to Snowpiercer, so, I mean, this is obviously his English language debut. An interesting move, and I wasn't sure whether he chose to obviously do this in an English language film due to funding or what the sort of reasoning was. The only thing I could really find out is the fact that he had stumbled across the original graphic novel. It's a French graphic novel called uh, La- Le Transparenirige. And it was published in 1982 and later retitled The Escape. It was later continued as two further volumes by Benjamin Legrand, uh, who took over from the original creator, Jax Lobb, with The Explorers published in 1990 and uh, The Crossing uh, published in 2000. Uh, Fourth volume was published in 2005, which brought a conclusion to the series. Now, if you've not read the graphic novels, do not worry, because... The Snowpiercer that we're obviously looking at tonight is more based on, rather than an adaptation. And instead it was just the idea that humanity, the remains of humanity, which is now facing a second ice age, being crammed onto a train, which is constantly circling the globe thanks to the engine, which means that it never runs out of fuel, it just continues to go and go, and everyone's social status in the train is based on the ticket which they bought. So all the poor people um, are basically all the way back in coach, and then all the posh and rich people are all the way up in first class. Um, The film brings together a really impressive cast, uh, featuring Chris Evans, Tilda Swindon, Jamie Bell, uh, Octavia Spencer, and John Hurt, and... Also a very surprising appearance by Ed Harris. Uh, we also got to see uh, Song Kang-ho and uh, Go Ah-sung as well joining for the sort of Korean contingent. It's, it's a really multicultural cast that uh, Bong joon brings together. and There was a lot of, sort of speculation, especially when we've looked at other directors who've tried to come over and make English language debuts. Um, such so as like, you know, John Woo beat Takashi uh, Takano and have just struggled in one way or another, be it due to change, difference in work methods or just in sort of general communication of what they were trying to get, to get. They often saw them returning back to their native countries with very few obviously staying around to really sort of carve out crew on both sides. So, I mean, just opening this of question, I mean, do you, I mean, obviously, Stephen, I know you have a lot of experience with Bong Joon-ho, but uh, Emma, I mean, did you, have you seen much of Bong Joon-ho's films at all, or is this sort of like your introduction?
1: This, this was really my introduction to Bong Joon-ho. Um, I had heard of him, um, but I'll be honest, um, even, even since, uh, watching Snowpiercer for the first time um because i you know i know that we're, we're probably going to go into the uh the fact that uh well you i know you briefly mentioned that uh, it uh, it kind of never actually came out here um but um i first watched this in um australia actually um i was in australia in 2015 at the end of 2015 and uh, this was actually on in my hotel room um and so i was quite lucky because i was you know i wasn't expecting to be in a hotel room in australia watching snow uh but yeah i actually ended up watching it in australia and um yeah that was my first experience of of watching the movie and and watching anything from bong joon ho I'll, i'll fully hold my hands up and i'll admit i have not seen anything else um I know that he's done um I think he did a film called mother um, yep. uh, Okja, um i don't I'm, I assume I'm pronouncing that terribly um and obviously parasite um oh there was another one that I was quite, i think did he do the host as yes, well. Yep yeah um and they're they're all <laughs> they're, they're all on my i really want to watch these one day list yeah. and i've just never got around to doing it and uh and obviously parasite is is something that uh i mean it, he's been lauded for for parasite um and uh i don't think it's actually it might be out on dvd here i'm not entirely certain or it might be coming out soon. Um...
2: At time of recording, it's out on Monday. Is it really or Tuesday? I think because it's bank holiday in the UK. Well, I've just spoiled it? the. I've just spoiled the magic of when this episode comes out. But yes, it's out. It's out. It's out. Sorry, I think it's out the first week of June actually. I
1: think oh, okay. I was going to say, isn't that a coincidence? Because I've actually got the Snowpiercer Blu-ray on order for um, to be delivered on Tuesday. And I was going to say, well, wouldn't that be a nice coincidence if Snowpiercer and Parasite had both come out on the same day? Um, but um, but yes, I am I am very much hoping to watch Parasite um, and eventually watch some of his other things. But this is literally my only introduction and knowledge of Bong Joon Ho as a director. And and to be honest, if purely based on this one movie, I mean, I just think I just think he's the greatest. <laughs> I just there's there's so much greatness in this movie, and I mean it's it's got to kind of be, I and mean, it's obviously attributed to the cast and, and and the crew and everything, but the fact this is his first English language movie, um, I just you just kind of got to look at it and go, well, actually, wow. I mean, <laughs> I to get the performances that he got because I, I I understand as well from him speaking in interviews, um, that he. He doesn't. He speaks some English, but not. He's not fluent. I believe. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that that's right. Which is why we got his um, media-friendly translator also <laughs> on all those on all those shows uh, l- l- last year. But no, I, I think I think at, like most South Koreans, I think he has a a school level c- command of English, which probably doesn't translate into the technical world of, of filmmaking. Um, mm. And I think the cast and crew that he used were probably all Korean or Czech because I think it was made in Czechoslovakia, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah, um, uh, to it was made cream? at uh,
1: Barisov Studios, which is interesting because when I was looking into this, I've just put out an episode on the, on A Knight's Tale, which was also filmed at Barasov mm. Studios in Prague. So there's, there's a nice little link to A Knight's and Tale there as well.
2: And it's really strange because it's 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 a South Korean film. Let's make no bones about it. Obviously, it was it was made and somewhat funded by. Actually, it's not called Czechoslovakia anymore, is It's Chechia, We have to call it. But um, yet, it's full of American and British um, actors. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, obviously, there's there's the, there's the two sort of South Korean leads which she bought from him, bought along from the host with him, but. Um, yeah, it's, a re- it's just a really weird mix because it it doesn't feel like it's a Western film like the, like when you talk to what about those other directors coming over and working within the Hollywood system and failing. Yeah, this this just happens to be a South Korean film starring some Western actors. It just, mm-hmm. just feels a little bit different. To, yeah. to to the experience of those others, which is probably then why he 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 was much more successful in in bringing his vision to play
1: yeah i i i genuinely find it quite fascinating as for for a guy to come over and 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 like you say this is it is uh it is a south korean uh slash czech production um so it's it's not it's not an american production i mean i think there's a link to harvey weinstein uh i do not want to mention the man's name but i think you've kind of got to because obviously it is uh the first thing that comes up uh, is the weinstein company so um there is there is a link to harvey weinstein sadly but um you know to get a cast assembled like you know the likes of chris evans tilda swinton uh, octavia spencer and and for a, a, a director who's you know english is very much his second language but to have a command of the, the the story that he wants to tell, the way he wants to tell it, what he wants his actors to do and, um, you know, what he wants his actors to um, portray. It's just, again, I'm just like, how? How, is, how has he done that? <laughs> because it's, it's the performances that he gets out of all of his cast, and it is a talented cast, but that I'm going to put um put my life on the line a little bit because i'm a big fan of chris evans um and i think his captain america is is the pinnacle of superhero casting really apart from hugh jackman's wolverine i really do think that chris evans is captain america through and through but then you stick him in this as curtis everett and he's just all of a sudden he's curtis everett and you kind of completely forget Captain America, and he puts the, everything into this. And I put, I would put money on this is Chris Evans' finest performance in a, in any film ever. And that's taken into account every single <laughs> time he's been Captain America, and every other role that he's done, um, including um, Fantastic Four, um, where he dries himself um, because he's obviously. Um, uh, I can't even remember the name of the character but he human, <laughs> torch. human torch thank you uh when he dries himself without a towel because he's essentially the human torch and it's a wonderful scene, but this hands down greatest chris Evans performance that might that might be controversial
2: <laughs> well i don't, I don't think it is um but the other thing we have to remember this this is twenty thirteen <laughs> um and chris Evans isn't a leading man that you could hang a movie on at this stage um he, he he has made the first captain america film which which wasn't marvel's biggest hit so that was the that's the first one but everything else he's done if you look back at, at the roles that he'd had previously um they are supporting their secondary roles um you also look at the other People in the film, people like Tilda Swinton. A Tilda Swinton is is a national treasure. Let let's not get it wrong. But she, she will she will experiment in the kind of roles and um, things that she plays in. Um, Ed Harris is a, is is a character actor. Um, John Hurt is the ultimate character actor. Yeah. So what he's actually done, he's put together, or what's been put together for him, you're never too sure quite what, what he asked for and what he got. Is a group of actors rather than stars i mean you know ed harris is a big star but not many people go to a film because it's a ed harris film yeah and i think chris evans is at that stage in his career and i absolutely agree with you he's done nothing before after or since that's of this quality he carries this film he he walks this film from the tail to the front of the film and the tail to the front of the train see what i did there um (laughs) but um yeah he's 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 remarkable but we do have to remember this this is seven years ago and seven years ago chris evans was not one of the big Chris's.
1: no but the the avengers the avengers came out in 2012 and that kind of cemented him it didn't cement him as a, a as a lead no, um, not, because he he was essentially second fiddle to uh, Robert Downey Jr.
2: But absolutely, which is kind of what I'm getting at is, you know, he's been in things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and you know. whatever you may or may not think of those films, I, I was in Sunshine, wasn't he? Um, yeah, and he was just um, in the Losers. He was in the Losers, um, which no one but you remembers, but it's <laughs> <This is> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but um. It, it, you know it's it's i would not have guessed that he could have put this together he's a guy that turns up and puts in a solid 30 minutes in a two-hour film and this film the whole film is is absolutely resting on his shoulders Mm -hmm. Uh, and also there's jamie bell there's there's the that's the other fellow i was trying to remember now billy elliott's in this and um Mm -hmm. this is a world away from from that and this is a dark character chris evans's character I mean we we're, we're going to do spoilers I think it's all right to do spoilers for a 7-year-old film but you know he's 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 a pretty dark hero when you finally yeah. find out his um his backstory and he, even during the film so this is this isn't this is a film which could have spectacularly backfired um, on on him as an actor because because this is not um this this, this is not Hollywood
1: no it's not your standard uh you know hunger games kind of apocalyptic uh oh well you know it's it's the rich versus the poor because i think a lot of people might sort of put that comparison in there that oh well you know isn't it just just like the hunger games except um but it's there's it's so much more complex and and deep and and like you say uh curtis as a character He's the one throughout the, the movie that's kind of essentially he doesn't want to be the leader, but he's kind of the de facto leader um of this group. But then you you find out why he's the leader, this de facto but, leader yeah, and, and
2: he's been, he's been chosen. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and and but but kind of how just how desperate times really were, uh Back in the the sort of tail section of the train, and it's it's just genuinely heartbreaking to to kind of hear what they actually did to survive. Um, it's it's the sort of stuff that is uh, is the sort of stuff that you would see in in a horror movie. Um, you know, like any I I'm, I like I say I'm not a massive fan of horror, and I'm I'm not. Uh, by any means, a, a connoisseur of, of horror, but you know when y- you have horror movies with people getting their arms and legs and whatnot chopped off, and it's it's kind of seen as a uh, a, a punishment, you know, a torture.
2: Oh not to spoil it, you could have been a, a an Argentinian or Uruguayan rugby team in a plane crash on top of a mountain um that's, that's that you know that the a life if you remember the story of a life which is a true story you know pe- people in desperate times do desperate things Sorry, um yeah. and 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 it's not horrific this is not something we see it's something that it, 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 it's in a well it's in a really weird conversation that yeah. is had there is a there is there is a um uh, there's something about this film which I struggle with. So funnily enough, like you, um, I didn't see this in the UK. I saw this in a cinema in Hong Kong, as I've spoken about before. Um, and I didn't realise at the time. Well, I was just I was just trying to kill an afternoon whilst on holiday. And I uh, was waiting for something else to happen. I thought, oh, Snowpiercer, I'd go and see that. Never expecting that it would take, like, years for it to become in the UK. And even though I have the German Blu-ray, but they don't translate the... Um, they don't translate the korean into english it's into spanish for some reason anyway oh, no.
0: <laughs> this is the um, this is a big problem because why the i mean the film was produced obviously already by noted sex offender harvey weinstein and it was held by the weinstein company now he originally got into huge clashes with uh, bong juno over the making of the film because Weinstein being Weinstein, as he's been noted throughout his producing past, loves to cut films into his vision, earning the moniker of Harvey Scissorhands. And there's very few directors who actually got creative freedom. Quentin Tarantino, his boy, being the only one really of note, and I think Kevin Smith being the other, well, other directors under his company. So people like Spike Lee um, just basically had constant clashes with him. Now Bong Joon-ho was the first director really to play Weinstein at his own game because Weinstein wanted to cut 20 minutes off. He wanted to put opening and closing monologues into the film and he also wanted to cut out the aquarium sequence from this film. Now Bong was really in love with that sequence which he was inspired from The Godfather to include and said to Weinstein, no, you aren't cutting that sequence because I want to include it because my father was a fisherman. And Weinstein related and later... Once the film had been completed, Bong basically said, no, that was complete bullshit. I just made it up because I wanted to keep the scene. <laughs> Go on, Bong! So Weinstein has basically got in a real tizzy and limited the amount of distribution the film got. So it got very limited distribution. And then obviously his whole, <laughs> the whole Me Too movement rose up and... Britain got kind of forgotten about um, while Weinstein was playing his power games of distribution. So it was only when the Weinstein company went into bankruptcy that the film was bought up along with most of the Weinstein library by another independent distributor that uh, we finally saw it released over here. So, yeah, it's a weird old thing because we got one showing at the Edinburgh Film Festival and that was it. Mm. So... Even unless you were really on the ball and thought, I must go and see... see.
1: And travel to Edinburgh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if... What, I've never personally been to Edinburgh, I've heard it's very nice though. So.
1: I mean it's it's a lovely city i have not been to uh to any film festivals up there but mm. it's a long way to go <laughs> just to see a movie um for me was. anyway
2: um i mean so there's so two people who went to the other side of the world to see it
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> although although not on purpose
1: <laughs> yeah not, not, I, yeah not on purpose
0: <laughs> yeah the only thing, crazy thing i've done is when i found out that Weinstein was going to split uh, Grindhouse into two movies, and I flew from Birmingham to LA over one weekend to watch it, and then went back into work pretty much straight off the plane, so... What? Well, you, you win. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that, that is dedication. That it is was some the, sheer dedication. the problem
0: is, because Grindhouse came over here, and we had all this hypers and all the press is coming through, it's like, it's this double feature it's Rodriguez and Tarantino together again, and we're going to have fake trailers, and then the Americans didn't get it. The idea of what was supposed to be happening. So Weinstein decided we're going to recoup our losses on this movie and split it into two and not give the UK the double feature that we all wanted to see. And I knew that the only way I went, I don't want to see the see, pay to see two movies that are supposed to be joined together. So I decided to. I was luckily working at Birmingham Airport at the time and got in touch with some people and it's like, well, what can we logistically do? um to to get over and we basically worked it all out so yeah i um went over to la saw the film got back on the plane and went back to work so I was pretty much in work on two hours sleep and just like a zombie but it was totally worth it some may disagree but i think it was anyway so but when we look at this i mean am i right to said this was like his really second film steven or was i mean how many oh. films was he oh
2: no no he's um now I'm gonna to have to go and look it up. But no, this this is this is um I don't know,
0: quite,
2: quite some way into his career. So um he's made Memory of Murder at this stage Memories of Murder, sorry, different film. Yeah. Um he's made oh god, can't think of all the other films, Barking Dogs Don't Bite, which was his first film. Um and he's made the, the host, obviously. And the um nightmare. And mother which obviously we talked about before um so so this this this, this is quite a, ma- a mature director um at this time he's also made a number of short films and the like and, and and he is known he is known amongst the film community um although not by ed harris apparently but he went home and watched mother and said that's the guy i want to work for so you know this is, it has you know, he he he'd, he'd been recognized what we have to do is take this film um, we don't have to but i've decided we're going to if we look <laughs> at this film in the context of Bong so this M something you know that probably you won't be aware of but Snowpiercer and, and the way that they've developed the story and, and as and they would say this is nothing like the um the band as an a this is this is this takes the general idea and goes in in somewhat different directions indeed um e- even to the sense of of the ending is completely different to where the train portion of the of the, of the graphic novel ends. but um, this is absolutely in Bong's remit. This is about society and class and the haves and the have-nots, and every single one of his films is obsessed with. You know, when we when we watched Mother Elwood, you know that that was very much in its. Um, it's constantly, you know, there's, there's, there's poor people and bad things happen to poor people and, and rich people seem to get away with it. That's absolutely what Parasite's about. That's absolutely what this film's about. That's absolutely what, um, oh, well, is about something else a, a little bit different. But, um, you know, this this is this is a theme in his films and and he's brought it to life with, with Western actors and some little help from his friends and, uh, and, a, and a high concept sci-fi theme. And nothing else he's done has ever been sci-fi <laughs> this is <laughs> this this is yeah the guy the guy's made lots of films in lots of different genres i suppose *Oki* okay, you could consider a, a, a somewhat sci-fi but you know you've got, you've got a terrorist thriller you've got a you've got a low-key noir thriller in mother you've got um a, a, a detect serial killer detective film in memories of murder um you've got the monster movie and in- host see what i mean he, he makes films in lots of genres but his obsession is around class and the haves and the haves nots and and this film's got a'm re- sure we can talk about it in a bit but it's got a really interesting sort of world view um, so so yeah it, it, it's 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 like nothing he's ever done before or since but it's absolutely like everything he's ever done before and since
0: yeah um I mean, also, as just going back to Chris Evans uh, here, you mentioned already he was already Captain America at this point. Now, because of his physique, uh, Bong originally didn't want to cast him for the role because he thought, you know, for someone to play someone like Curtis is going to seem really bizarre for them to be really booked up on this train. Even though there are other members of his crew which are just really sort of stacked. It, he just felt that for this revolutionary leader, they would look a bit bizarre. So by using a lot of padded clothing, the same way that they hide most pregnancies on your favourite TV show, they managed to cover, you know, Evan's physique. Um, so if, if you just, were hoping... Just, to see like,
2: with... just like they did in Captain America at the beginning, where they stuck his head on a weird CGI body. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so, yeah, I mean, we mentioned already that he's... Sort of like the the main the main sort of leader and he's takes his advice from Gilliam who's um here played by I'll some notes now. John Hurt. John Hurt who I mean this is his third dystopian movie that he's made for, it could be argued. I mean he was obviously in nineteen eighty four, he was in V for Vendetta, I mean he's really, really fantastic and uh, not to be confused with um Magneto. Actor, who's, who who I often confuse him with for whatever reason in my head it makes oh sense. Ian McKellen yeah for some reason I was confusing with Ian McKellen I don't know why in my head it I makes sense. I don't know sense. why either because <laughs> <laughs> well, because they're all British lovely actors I suppose
2: <laughs> you'd you'd see them at the old Vic as well as at the um as, as 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 much as in Hollywood I suppose
0: but um yeah John Hurt is a is kind of like the unofficial Leader of the the poor people in the back of the train, and him along with his uh, his own little inner circle, who are uh, basically a collection of nubbies as well, missing various limbs, as we find out why a bit later in the film. And they've uh, obviously set Curtis up with this this task, and with the film itself, I mean, it runs at such a, a brisk pace, and it wastes no time in sort of establishing what the social class is, because these guys are basically... The poor are basically kept right at the back of the train. They're not allowed to go out of their carriage and they're basically fed gelatine blocks um, while all, all just from the front of the train are passed them through Tilda Swindon's character. Um, I'm just doing the worst with names here tonight. So I don't Minister order. Mason. Yeah. Is it um, Minister Mason?
1: Yes, Minister Mason.
2: So can we talk about this this character? You
0: because... can, certainly can, because it's a Yorkshire accent <laughs> in blue-collar sci-fi. What is not to love? It's the second time this has happened, and it yes. should happen all the time.
2: I am I have to admit, when I first saw this film some six, seven years ago, whenever it was, I couldn't stand her. <laughs> I, it just felt out of place. It felt like she was doing some kind of high-comedy role in a, darker film, and I, I I didn't get it at the time. I really didn't. Now, obviously, this is something that Tilda Swinton likes to do. Um, I don't know if you've seen the remake of Suspira.
0: <laughs> oh, dual <your> roles? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, well, I think she's in three different roles, and different gender-bending and, gender and, and under-makeup. This, this, this is something which she's, she, she's, she's carried on doing. However, what what I am going to say is, watching it again this week in preparation for this, I suddenly just changed my view and got a completely different appreciation and for it and and i don't know I, I i think she kind of livens it up a bit even though it is a bit ott and ridiculous and if she's not trying to channel margaret thatcher
0: <laughs>
2: then uh, i'm wrong
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it has been said that i mean Twins said that the characters when she was creating it uh because i mean this character was originally going to go to john c wiley riley which I would have expected it to be been more like his role in Gangs of New York, had he taken on the role. And it was really when the, she met with, with Bong at uh, the Cannes Film Festival, when she was there promoting We Need to Talk About Kevin, a film which she surely should have won the Best Female Oscar for that year, but was snubbed much like Drive was the same year. Um, and she drew inspiration for Margaret Thatcher, which is probably the most obvious, but she also looked at, like, you know, Colonel Gaddafi, Adolf Hitler, Silvio uh, B- Bascalone. Just really these sort of, like, authority sort of figures, and the fact she plays it all with a Yorkshire accent is just delightful, and she's basically been sent by by willard who's who's the head of the creator of the train and she's basically his mouthpiece and there to make sure everyone's following order and she does this through basically referring to all the poor people as being a shoe and saying that it makes no sense for them to be at the front because you don't put a shoe on your head that makes no sense and uh also refers to a shoe front of her head as being size 10 chaos in just one of her more delightful moments but (laughs) i think Tilda Swinton is just so fantastic in this. And I, I love Tilda Swinton to to death. I mean, back from when I was first started off writing a film and she was just like making fun little indie movies and things like Constantine and stuff. And here we have this just like androgynous goddess of a woman who's just so sure of what she's doing and just in life and action, she just walks her own path. And I think it just took Hollywood and everyone else so long to just to catch up with and realise what a delight and uh human chameleon she actually is an act, as an actress. Um, and obviously
2: and obviously worked well with director Bong enough for her to be part of Okia as well. You know, they obviously got a there's a synergy there, um, between her and him. I mean he, he does have his favourites. Um, Song Kang Ho's in several of his films, um Go is in several of his films and, and Tilda Swinton's in two of his films, so uh she, they obviously had had some kind of uh she was an actress that he felt he could work with.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, Sung Kang Ho, here playing the drug adult security specialist. Um, and uh, he chose the name Nangong Min-soo just because it would be as difficult as possible for foreigners to try and pronounce it. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> now, I mean, how do we find his, his character? Because he just speaks Korean the whole film. He has a, a little translator device which is... Painfully hard to hear most of the time.
1: Yeah. So his yeah. performance
0: relies more on just his physicality and just his general sort of demeanor. So I was very interested to see how he coach across because, I mean, soon you mentioned earlier. I mean, he's a regular player in the in the Bong Playhouse, and
2: uh, oh, he's he's more than that. He's he's probably um, South Korea's top actor he's probably been in more of the of the films that have crossed over into the west than any other actor you know he he, he can do it or um, where do we see him which th- i'm
1: pretty certain that i recognize his face but i can't remember yeah. i i haven't looked but i i'm certain i've seen him in well, something
2: so he's the lead in the host he's in the lead in thirst um He's in some other Kim Ji-woon films, um, Good, the Bad, and, uh, the Weird. He's one of the three leads in that. Um, he, you know, if, if, for South Korean films that have come over in the last 20 years, the chances of seeing Song Kang-ho are about seven in ten. Um, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a well-known and, and popular and successful actor. So I was, I, like you, Elwood, I struggled a bit, because, A, because my yeah, my memory wasn't that good at what you said seven years ago, and my Blu-ray um, doesn't translate, and my Spanish is rusty. Um, <laughs> um, I did find that conceit of talking through those translators, which I'm sure I heard better at the cinema. I, I could barely hear it watching it at home, but um, you, get, you get to the idea, because he is he is a great actor and he can do things with just his eyes and just a look and a, and a sneer that, that most other people can't dream of. And then they balance that out, obviously with, um, go, Ar Sung, who was also in the house. She was the little girl in the host. Yeah. And, um, but she can speak English. Um, and, uh, and I guess she's used as a bit of a, um, a proxy for him, I suppose to connect the two, but I, I, I thought he was great. Um, I'm not entirely sure where they need to do it. <laughs> and and there, there were, there, there, there's some things in the movie I don't quite get. So you've got all these people at the back of the train, the poor, the unwashed, the great unwashed. And then one carriage up, you've got a prison, which apparently is just you keep people in a filing cabinet. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> they're like suspended <laughs> animation, aren't they? They're yeah, but, not alive, but they're not dead. They're like asleep.
2: But if, but if, if you've got kind of a harsh... It doesn't kind of match in what the rest of the film's about. So there's two things. There's a thing at the beginning of the film and a thing at the end of the film, which make this a bit weird. Um, firstly, at the beginning of the film, you have what happens to you and Brenner's character. Um, mm-hmm. He's done something wrong. So they chuck his arm outside and it freezes off, and they, which kind of gives you a false impression about why there's a lot... What did you, what did you call them, Elwood? People with... Uh, Hot limbs missing oh nubbies <laughs> nubbies yeah so so you kind of think that's because they've been punished for various things although later on we find out it's for gastronomic reasons um,
1: <laughs> which is the nicest way ever of putting it by the way
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's there's, there's, cannibal, there's there's historic cannibalism that's happened here anyway you you have this and um, you also have the thing that the film's about, which is basically it, it's the Willard has had this idea before Thanos, basically <laughs> you've got, to, you've got, you've got to allow sort of certain events to happen to, to thin the, thin the crop of the human race. So if you, if you don't have a problem with killing people to thin out the crop and you don't have a problem with basically tucking them out, of you know, punishing people by, putting their arms out of a train and banging them off with a with a sledgehammer. Why are you keeping these couple of people in a filing cabinet? Um, it's it, a it, it specialists. Seems, it yeah, seems he's, he's a, a tech different. specialist, though. What do they need security specialists for?
0: Because he's the it, only one who knows how to work the doors.
2: This is the problem they,
0: because... No, no, that's, no, I understand why the people
2: at the back of the train need
0: him. Yeah, but he's I don't the one who put why the doors he's being, in.
2: But why is he being kept around?
0: All right, because, well, basically, I mean... Because, what?
2: I understand that, right?
0: <laughs> I know, obviously, he has to... For the people at the back, he's got to open the doors. But in yeah, yeah. terms of keeping things running on the train, because this is some of the, the films that we've... That he's constantly talked about, they often refer to things as being extinct, like bullets and parts. Um, and it's not just related mm-hmm. to, you know, animals. It's just like, if a... If uh, something doesn't exist anymore, it's known as being extinct because they've been on this train for 18 years. Now, due to the wear and tear on the thing, they're constantly having to work around the fact that they can no longer get parts. And we find out exactly how a bit later, which we'll cover later, when we get to sort of like the bigger uh, payoff here. But he's the basically the one who designed the doors. So if something goes wrong with your doors, you don't want to exactly have like half your, your rich population cut off and then sort of, like, left vulnerable to all the poor folk at the back who are, let's say, just say, they're all, like, a bunch of hatchet-wielding grudge-bearers. So, let's, just, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> just in case that would come up. <laughs> yeah, so, it's as I said, you need someone there who knows how to fix the doors, and obviously you can't have him risk getting like, bumped off or sparking his own revolution, so you keep him frozen, and obviously I'm guessing that the deal he made... Um was that they they froze his daughter as well or whether they that was just part of whatever plan Willard had. Uh but that's this, the reason this, I saw him being frozen anyway. This is
2: not a sustainable plan. He will die, right? This is, He's he,
0: frozen. He's not gonna go anywhere. <laughs>
2: I, I i i know i shouldn't be picky because this film is not really about and i think some of the criticism it got from hardcore sci-fi people was well this isn't this isn't very good science fiction this is well it's not a science fiction film is it it's it's a it's a parable about society yeah. um but no i i really struggled with this that that everything else i'm, I'm fine with the aquarium train and i'm fine with Alison Pill's school train and i'm fine with all this other stuff it's this it's this strange carriage one from the back that has people kept and documentation mate that's the reality if he did, you can fix that by having it written down <laughs> and then chuck him out the train it's just weird anyway i've i've, I've digressed from your thoughts
0: okay um so obviously we've because the uh, folks at the back, they're unhappy with their station in life. They decide that they're going to spark a revolution, fight their way up, and take control of the take control of the uh the train by sabotaging the water. Because you know who he who controls the water controls the train, That's what they believe. So, the first half of this film is about them having their revolution. And I have to say, just like really ask you guys what you thought of the action scenes there, because. Once we get start moving and that revolution plan goes into action, it doesn't stop any momentum. They just keep charging, on forwards, and they go through all the different sections. They're like, as you said, they're in the prison section. They're then in the where they make the jello, and then they're obviously have that big climactic fight with the water uh, tank unit, which I have to say has got its own interesting aspects, which all sort of like I saw sort of comparisons like. Um, Christmas in the World War One trenches where everyone stopped fighting and here we see everyone stop fighting to celebrate the new year, which is nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. One one thing I really liked um as, as they progress kind of uh through the train at the start, um it's just the obviously at the at the end of the train, that it's it's shot purposefully very dark, you know. They're they're cramped, they're dirty. Um, everything you know every, it's densely populated and it's densely populated at the back of the train for a reason because that's kind of what we're going to come to at the end uh, why it's so crowded Um but it's purposely shot dark and, and I and I remember originally watching it um and really struggling to see what was going on in the scenes a set the, the back of the train and but I like that they did that on purpose uh in a sense that they they want to portray this kind of very um the the darkness of being poor essentially uh because these are all the poor people these are the people who got on the train for nothing um and these are the people that the people at the front of the train uh obviously if they know they exist they think that they're savages because that's what they're told um but I'll, i'll we can talk about that because that's kind of mentioned in the classroom um in a bit um but i like as they progress through the train each carriage gets a little bit lighter and each carriage gets a little bit cleaner uh you know all the way through to kind of opulence and these kind of really bright colors um, when you start introducing these characters from the uh the front of the train um with the likes of, of tilda swinton and also with the likes of The henchwoman i think her name is claude um who's uh introduced in like this beautiful i think it's a yellow bright yellow coat um sort of against all of this kind of grimy dirty dark and the same with tilda swinton when she's introduced she's wearing bright colors you know it's it's almost like showing this opulence um and and this you know well it's it's so much brighter when you're rich you know when you're wealthy everything is clean and lovely and and you know, there's
2: uh, one there's one exception though Em, and that's that nightclub do you remember yeah. the bit of the nightclub where they're all doing the what's the drug called chrono or something Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah that that is that's pretty that's a pretty miserable nightclub full of pretty miserable drug addicts
1: yeah they, they are pr- I but suppose that's that's, 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 that's most nightclubs though, isn't it?
2: Well, you know. <laughs>
1: you know, if you went down at Passions on a Saturday night, I'm dear, sure it'd be the same.
2: Dear audience, your mileage may vary, but I think I think <laughs> I think I think you're absolutely right. And do you know what this film reminds me of? The Wizard of Oz, right? And and, and so, so that journey that the Wizard of Oz has, and then you you meet Oz at the end, and it turns out he's not everybody he's not what you all thought he was, but there is that journey up through society and it, and it gets better and bigger and cleaner and brighter and all those things that you were talking about. However, richness and opulence leads to laziness and decay and to, um, what's the word? Um, corruption. Yeah. I think that nightclub bit is, is kind of showing you that, which actually feeds into Willard's speech later on, doesn't it? Because it, it, Again, that, I think we want to get there in turn, but it, it's a there, there is there is a view. It's, it's not quite a straight journey. I think I think it's it is it sowing is actually. Yeah, it's all very nice to eat sushi and all these and, and have and have good education, all those things which we're sort of taught along the train, but also money corrupts power corrupts, yes, absolutely. corrupts. and yeah. that and that that's uh that's fairly near the end of the sort of the main living quarters there's some lovely bits like when they're going through it feels like an old um i don't know it's uh, like rapture
0: from bioshock it's all very yeah when i was like deco
2: it, it it is and and like there's a bit where the guy's having his hair cut at the barbers in in a, in a in a carriage off on the side you know the, the, I loved I loved all that that stuff but yeah there's, yeah. there's it's very yeah. much yeah it's
1: th- almost like life goes on for them like life is just like going to the dentist and you know taking your kids to school and like for them that that's just life you know
2: it, and it is. It, and money and privilege have, have given the opportunity to carry on that life although. Mm. You know, you've got to think, and again, maybe I'm thinking about it too much. How, how long have they been on the train? Is it 18 years? 18 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. I am surprised that there has been no cultural change in the main body of the train. Obviously, children are being born. We meet young kids and we meet teenagers. And um, and what I don't see in the train is any kind of of social or cultural movement, obviously, it's kind of mentioned later on, but it's it's kind of stuck in time, you know. And you like, like you said, Elwood, you know, it feels like a, a '40s or '50s place, except when it feels like an '80s nightclub, or except when it feels like a, a workhouse or something like that, I suppose. But it is. And again the mistake to make is and which which I think I might have made when I first watched it and I think while other sort of the sci-fi people who who diss this film think is that you take it all too literally.
1: Mm.
2: And this is absolutely a film about metaphor.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it's ultimately it is a comment on class society. Um you know, and like I said earlier I've not seen any of Bong's other movies. Now I'm actually more tempted than i previously was because if they are of, of that kind of similar theme it's a theme that i very much kind of enjoy uh watching in a sense that if he can bring it you know to the screen in all of these different styles um, I and mean, obviously this is in the style of, of a dystopian sci-fi um, but i do think it goes a lot deeper but i also think it comments on uh, you know when we get to the children um specifically obviously these are children that are essentially born in captivity uh born on the train it's just that these children are the children of the privilege um and then you have the children at the back of the train um that are used in a completely different way but essentially these children are also used because these children are the, they going to be the storytellers of the future so they make sure to shape the history of what they're taught mm. to this you know and and it's something that society does um you know society tells its history in whatever way it wants to tell its history it's not necessarily the right way to tell the history, and these children are taught what essentially Wilford wants them to be taught
2: yeah. in history, the, you know history is, he, is told by the victors
1: exactly the, yeah. you know that he's he's the greatest. You know that he's this benevolent God essentially and that they should all praise Wilford of, of being you know the the great leader of this train of saving this humanity um and and like I said that teaching these children that basically that I don't even think they know about the people at the back because they're actually introduced. Because when um, Minister Mason kind of comes through, she kind of says, oh, you know, these are the people from the back. They're really nice.
0: Oh, yes, yeah, really because they've coined. told them that they're all savages in the back and that the yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. oh, kind of true. Well, um, I kind of
2: So the other thing, and what you've got to remember is is that Director Bong is, is Korean. And uh, obviously you knew that. But but his, his view on, on social strata is also... Not just in this film, but in other films, is is very based on the, the the model of society that they have in South Korea. So whilst we can apply all this to to our Western society, you also have to remember that South Korea is a Confucian society, and it's very it's it, it's got layers of you know you, you, you're the unwashed, or you're educated, or you're a teacher, or you're a policeman, or you're an ed, or you're a government official. These these roles, these jobs. The jobs that you have, the exams that you've got, the the amount of money you have are absolutely crucial to the social structure of South Korean society, much more than it is in the West. That it, it's about your your role defines your social status rather than sometimes where you were born or who you were born to. I mean, money money counts obviously in all in all cases, but the 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 stratification of the of society along these train carriages is so south korean and it's so much sort of things that you can see in in his other films um it, it's quite stunning um so, so it absolutely applies to western society period but it has a special meaning for being a south korean director i think
0: i mean obviously removing obviously the popular films of you know class and status and society i mean you can also compare this to dante's journey through the circles of hell in the fact that we we go through each of these circles as we ascend to the heavens and we obviously get to Ed Harris's sort of front carriage where he's basically this this godlike figure and we see it reverbed continuously throughout the film, the, the idea that the engine is sacred you know, Withered is, as mm-hmm. you've said already is this godlike figure, he controls all life on, on the train and we see this through the actions he has it's sort of like we need to thin out the numbers so we're, he works with as we find out he's got his own means of setting things in motion where the people think they're following destiny and fate but they're actually following his greater plan and it's all about um it's all about just keeping things running keeping the balance here so i mean but certainly when you look at it when we go through all the seven deadly sins we go through wrath and lust and sloth and greed all these things are exemplified, especially as we get into the later characters, once we go past the classroom and get into the real sort of, uh, upper class of the stages here. And it's, those uh sort of elements become and when we get into that final sort of nightclub scene which is truly a representation of lust in the fact that these people are so the only thing that they've got time to do is just to drink and do drugs and screw and it's are <laughs> to see this through this really as you see we described it a very grim nightclub sequence so other people may see it as a very decadent nightclub sequence depending on your own personal uh viewpoints so mm-hmm. But um I think it's just just a visual sort of style that goes into this film. It's just so fascinating. I mean, before we came on you said that the this is uh this is a sequel or a prequel to Willy Wonka?
1: Ah yeah. <laughs> well, no, there's there's a theory um on the internet, um and it's something that I'd heard about, um but because I'd seen it a while ago, um originally I was like, How how is that even possible? Then I rewatched the movie today And I immediately kind of understood the link. Um, So I just kind of wanted to go through a couple of points and just kind of, I guess, gauge your uh, you guys and what you think. Um, So there, this is kind of seen as a a spiritual sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which is obviously uh, a movie that came out. uh, I believe it was the 70s. uh, Gene Wilder. Uh, movie um obviously an iconic movie that pretty much everyone has seen um and originally you kind of think well how like how I- ever could this be linked to willy wonka and the chocolate factory and and the the theory is as follows um so essentially um once charlie uh at the end of the movie gets control of willy wonka's chocolate factory um, He spends his years kind of um, making all these fabulous inventions um, and then kind of becomes disillusioned with humanity, uh, essentially, after all of these years of of being in this factory. Um, This uh, massive, well, the global warming, obviously, event happens. They disperse this CW17, but obviously Charlie being a genius, knows that it's going to create the ice age so he ends up building a train uh keep stick with me cuz this is, this is I am going to get a point uh get to my point but um so basically the the links to Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory um he that Charlie is actually Wilford. um the the logo the W logo in snowpiercer it's not exactly the same as the W in Willy Wonka uh, but a lot of people kind of see a similarity they think that Charlie became Wilford as a tribute to Willy Wonka maybe because Willy Wonka's full name is Wilford who knows Um, this is just the theory um, and that he obviously became this kind of uh, the leader of this train Um, the hidden messages in the protein blocks that we find out actually come from wilford uh they're seen as like the golden tickets um that to to entice the successor obviously with willie wonka it was charlie and with wilford it's curtis um the fact that uh we find out that he uses small children to essentially do the dirty work very similar to oompa-loompa's in the original movie obviously oompa-loompa's are not children they are little people but uh they they kind of did all of the dirty work for willy wonka um and that essentially willy wonka the chocolate factory is a group of people uh who are coming into a place or have been in that place for some time but they're making their way through room by room um and each time you're losing one person as you go um and um and also we we've kind of touched on the cannibalism um but there's a scene in Willy Wonka um, where Charlie and his Grandpa Joe um, taste some forbidden pop. Um, and you kind of think, well, you know, that's kind of ended it for them. And it turns out, well, actually, it hasn't. Everyone's happy. But there's there's obviously a scene in this movie where Curtis has kind of done something similarly unforgivable. Um, and... Um, yeah, that, that's that's the theory. That's the theory about it. And, and now that I've watched this movie for a second time, I, I can see these little kind of things in there. I, I don't believe that there was ever any intention. I think a lot of this is um, just like conjecture, maybe. Um, but I'm, I'm just kind of interested to, to kind of hear your thoughts based on uh, whether you think uh, that theory could be true or whether you think it's just uh internet (laughs) stuff
0: um i found that when it comes to the internet if you whatever you want to believe there's someone out there who's going to believe it with you, because if the internet's done anything, it's certainly all given us our tribe, and no matter what random-ass idea you want to march behind, there's going to be more than a few people who also share that idea with you. I mean, this is why a lot of people think that Dark Side of the Moon, the Pink Floyd album, um, syncs up perfectly with The Wizard of Oz. It certainly provides a, a fun stoner's evening, but it's not I'm sure it wasn't intentional when they were writing Dark Side of the Moon. And I think, yes, I mean, you can obviously fudge the parts together and say that, you know, this is where the comparisons lie. And I think it's certainly a bit of fun, but I don't think that was certainly the intention <laughs> when they were putting this together. Uh, more so, you Sorry, I mean,
2: doesn't this just sort of go back to that thing? There's, there's only so many stories in the world.
0: And, yeah. uh, and you
2: know is there like there's only seven stories or something that you can tell or something it's, like that
0: yeah at, it's and, the first and, thing and, i tell you in writing class there's no original stories there's just reworkings or reimagining of ideas and that as you said him, there's seven basic plot lines that stories fall under um and it's up to the writer to find a unique direction to take said story but whatever well, you do is really always going to be an erag- imagination of someone else's i mean just look at how many stories are similar to the Deadliest Game? It's like Battle Royale yeah, and Hunger Games. It's all the same.
2: Absolutely, but it's interesting that, that the internet have have equated this to um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You, you Elwood, equated it to, to Allegri Dante Dante's Inferno. Yeah. I've equated it to the Wizard of Oz. Um, mm. we've we've. All, I'm, I'm just basically, I'm, I'm just considering you the internet at this stage. Uh,
1: <laughs> do do that. But, that's scary.
2: <laughs> you just are the internet. Um, and it's it's interesting that they are, we we, we they're all exploratory quest movies or stories. Mm. And so this this is very very much in that, although interestingly the, the the direction of travel in this one is is very limited there's no branching paths here you <laughs> you go from the back of the train to the front of the train but yeah that that, that story of of, of of traveling through a world through a place um and along the way learning a lot about the human condition is absolutely one of those stories it's It's got to be we, you know it's a road movie. Is it, it, is like that, yeah. um So, yeah. Also, I, I would have said that Charlie Bucket would have put everybody in a great class elevator, surely. Not a, that's, that's not a train. <laughs> train, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, you'd think that, you know, canonically. um I mean, whether I think there's there's, there's an argument that maybe this isn't a canonical version of of of, of Charlie Bucket. Uh, this is like the alternate universe. This is. This is like the the multiverse version of um, Charlie Bucket. You know, we mentioned earlier about this is what happens when uh, when Thanos slaps, snaps slaps. No, he doesn't. Snaps his finger. Um, <laughs> slaps this the is, this is <laughs>
0: yeah. Be great.
1: This, this is this is the multiverse version where where Charlie Bucket uh, ended up with a completely different life. Um, but yeah, I think I think you've made an excellent point that I think we've each kind of um, highlighted these other texts. That are, that are relevant to this story. Um, and I think it just kind of proves the point that, you know, there are really no original stories anymore. It's all just an interpretation of stuff that we already know. Um, and I think that kind of helps a lot with familiarity. And uh, people often want to see the same thing. Um, I mean, why, why else does Hollywood keep churning out sequel after sequel after sequel if consumers didn't want? To see that story again and again and again, you know, ad infinitum, uh, you know, and uh, it's it's annoying. But I mean, the one great thing about Snowpiercer is essentially it, it is an uh, it is fairly original. I know it's based on uh, the graphic novel, but otherwise, it's a it is an original piece of work, uh, which is always nice. It's just a shame that because of distribution and bloody. Weinstein um that it it kind of didn't get the recognition that it really deserved to get because I think this could have actually been quite a big hit had it actually been given a proper distribution uh in America and and worldwide really it's a bit sad actually
0: it's often hard to say what's going to sink with an audience because I remember when Wandering Earth came over onto Netflix and I thought that Wandering Earth was going to be this movie we're all going to be wanted to talk about because it's accessible and it's a big-budget uh, sci-fi Hong, uh, Hong Kong movie and it's to Armageddon. It's a mainland uh, Chinese movie,
2: mate. <laughs> I don't even,
0: yeah, I'm not going to stumble into that bear trap <laughs> saying, oh, aren't they both the same? Because, no, they're not. Uh, oh <laughs> i'm gonna have kim already come over and kick my ass if I yeah i'll well, cancel the podcast but yeah um but yeah but um unfortunately no nobody wanted to talk about it so it's very hard to say what and maybe this is a little too arts even for its action beats for the for the mainstream crowd. it's hard to hard to say but um I will say
2: though, it's it's, it's people that have seen it want to talk about it i did a little bit of preparation which is quite rare for me I normally do this off the cuff and i wanted to see what other people thought of snow pierce because for me it's not something that anybody i know has seen because i live in england <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Same. so i wanted to see what the rest of the world thought of it and i've Outside of the ones that people always talk about, the amount of articles of critical discussion—what does it mean? What does the ending mean? What's it about? Interpretations on Christianity, interpretations on society, interpretations on capitalism—I've never come across so many articles outside of you know. There are films that everyone talks about, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. What's in the Box and things like that. But the the people that critically wanted to talk about this on websites that weren't necessarily the normal places that you'd go and talk about it it's it certainly if you've seen it it has struck a chord with you and made you want to talk about it did i not understand it or do i want to put my own world for you on top of this and maybe it's such a such a classic set of themes the journey the the oddness, the things that you see, the visuals. I mean, we haven't even spoken about the bit that's done in night vision goggles. I mean, there's there's so much to take here, and then it's a very philosophical piece at the end. Um, I just think it's 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 a fascinating movie to talk about because once you've seen it, you want to talk about exactly.
1: it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and like I say, I only I'd only seen it once. And when I spoke to you guys, I know we we banded a couple of things around um, initially. um, And then I I just kind of thought to myself, because originally I I wasn't sure whether you would do Snowpiercer, because I know it's it's obviously a a Korean movie and it's Bong Joon-ho. But I didn't know if it was maybe a bit too westernised, maybe. It's it's Um, funny
2: you should say that, because I was having that sort of internal monologue with myself and I was thinking, oh, does this does this really fit what we want to do? And I thought, well, you know, it's fine. We can we can make excuses for bomb. yeah. But actually, it is an absolutely a Korean movie. Um, you know, it's absolutely considered that in Korea. So there you go, it gets fit. But it's it's it just it just so happens to have some famous Western people in it. Mm. <laughs> and believe you me, the films that me and El would watch with unfamous Western people in them um to people who can't act. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is quite a quite a delight, to be honest with you. But um no it, and, and I think it's absolutely it's absolutely South Korean to its core. But because it's talking about you know <sighs> t- truths of the world, society, money, politics, power Sex and drugs, and you know th- these are these are these these happen across the world. Yeah, yeah
1: it's all universal themes, isn't it's it? That that's, everyone that's experiences the,
2: these the things. That's well, well, <laughs> uh, So quite quite often when we watch these kind of films, you know, I have to sit here and explain to Elwood what the country's like. <laughs> you know, why 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 is this a funny joke? Or um, or Elwood will have to explain to me about something. You know, because there's this there's this cultural gap between us in our closeted Western British world and, and the rest of the world where this, this film talks to a talks to a higher universal truth, like you said, or a universal experience. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it, but it w- I wouldn't have picked it on my own. It wouldn't have been, you know, Elwood and I are doing our top hundred films, whatever it is. I wouldn't have even considered this because I like you the thought, Oh, is it? But it absolutely is. that's that's good i'm glad
1: i'm glad we've we've sorted that now (laughs) (laughs) because you 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 know you could have felt free at any moment to turn around and you know bat me away um but i i like i said this is i have seen other korean movies i have seen other asian cinema um and there's other things that i i could have picked and that i would have been more than happy to chat to you about and then it was just it was just like no i I've seen Snowpiercer and I know that it made an impression on me the first time that I saw it. And I was just blown away a little bit by not only how great the action was, how well paced it was, um, how great the the actors were. Because obviously a lot of the characters we don't see a great deal of. But I kind of feel like we're told enough about them to really understand their plight, um, you know, and then you get. Kind of the the shock of losing characters that you actually have grown to really like. Um, well, I
2: mean, one, one character you lose really early on. Yeah. And and you know, oh, yeah, I'm not going to say it was, but there is a particular character with a particular resonance to our lead. Yeah. That that's fairly well known, and you lose him. Oh, I know, I've given the gender away, but you know, you you. <laughs> you not that many that's characters,
0: just naming. So. <laughs>
2: Yeah, All right. you lose Edgar, right? Yeah. You lose Jamie Bell's character way earlier than I would have expected to. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
2: It's a to, surprise.
1: It's a genuine surprise.
2: And 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 not you know both both in terms of the cinematic impact and in terms of the story impact. You know, this this is now going to weigh very heavily on Chris Evans for the rest of the film. But he literally sacrificed his best friend for mm. the cause, yeah. and he did that in the first i don't know 40 minutes yeah i I
1: think i thought it was maybe about half an hour to 40 minutes it was Mm -mm. quite quick
2: and Uh, and and then when you find out their backstory that sacrifice comes at an even greater cost Mm -hmm. um i i I saw right one of the things i read was is that you shouldn't see chris evans as the hero
1: yeah oh Uh, uh, oh yeah i completely agree because he's 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 not at all not until the uh, end anyway in my eyes
2: and, and and then even then is he um and, and is he the hero of, has he ever been the hero of this story and is actually the hero of this story maybe go and um the the what's her name the the, the korean the young korean the daughter um i can't remember the character's yeah, name <laughs> oh the yeah girl Who has the, the, the best... inuit girl yeah
0: <laughs> i just love the fact that she has the best line when uh they go in they're facing off against the uh the guards and then they go into the tunnel, and the guards have all got night vision goggles. And their first words are, "You're all fucked."
2: And I was like, No
0: matter how many times I see this film, I just love that line.
2: Yeah, she's. Yeah, I mean, and obviously she, you know, she's one of the one of the survivors at the end, um, and the only character that we spend any time with who's only ever existed on the train. Yeah, she has no no concept of life outside the train, which is. Yeah. But yeah, it it's, again. I, I think we could do a thirty hour podcast on this. I think oh, we could <laughs> I think we could all come up with theories, ideas, things that we'd want to explore. And quite often, you know, we'll talk about a film and it'll be about two men in rubber suits punching each other. Which it's, is always great but, by the way. <laughs> just, oh no, don't get me wrong and love it. But um <laughs> Um and also I'll 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 subject Elwood to films that are are about society you know i have talked to you about the terrorizers elwood right um which has got lots of things to say about society and things like that but bored elwood rotten um whereas I mean, this it's is it's not
0: about it seeing bored it's just it didn't seem to be a <laughs> film there that was the problem i had with the terrorizers um, <laughs> but
2: but that's very much a film for the for the for the film snob yeah whereas this 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 seems to have the Given the audience of the film, snob, but actually has got way more going on because it's got all that classic filmy stuff and the visual and the kinetic stuff going on as well. It's not just you know, it's you know, it's it's like Kubrick esque, yeah. It's, you could, you could,
0: yeah. The difference being though between why it walks the line though is the fact that here Bong is willing to talk to his audience to let us know things rather than the more than more sort of artists or directors which this film could obviously easily fringe on who would just rather just like throw things out there and let people figure it out themselves um bong rather explain the base story and then hide the deeper themes within it i mean let's obviously talk about when curtis meets Will wilford i mean this is here he's here meeting the so-called creator of the train and both the you know the religious sense and the physical sense because he is obviously the creator of the train and here curtis is forced to face up to his past sins the fact that he was once a rampant cannibal who quite openly admits that he ate babies because babies taste the best and that mm-hmm. over the course of this he's forced to face up to these past sins and he's also forced to give his pound of flesh because he loses his arm rescuing one of the children so as in the same way that his with Gilliam and his nubbies um, all found their redemption by giving their pound of flesh and sacrificing and limbs, so that the people in the train in the back wouldn't go hungry and they wouldn't have to eat the young and the weak and would have regain their humanity. And I feel yeah. that in many ways that Gilliam giving his limbs was also to, in as part of his atonement for the deal that he worked out with. Wilford at the front of the train, because as Wilford says, you know, he used to speak to him constantly through the secret phone, and between them, they would control the numbers on the on the train by holding things such as this mock uprising, and that mm-hmm. they never expected them to get past the the guards in the the tunnel sequence, and the fact that Curtis has managed to just keep powering on through um, has been this sort of surprise, and you can also draw comparisons as well when we look at um the two enforcer characters here uh franco the elder we also have his little sidekick and possible lover franco the younger um who basically does away with all those who aren't really worthy enough Again, into that sort of final stage in that sort of mass hatchet sequence we see which for myself it uh it's still a bit of a jarring sequence but it kind of makes sense when you're looking at this in like a philosophical sort of sense of what they have to, and when he finally gets to the front and he gets to hear silence for the first time, which I can totally understand his reaction, you know, living in a house with two young kids who just make noise all the damn time. So to have those moments of quiet, I can understand why he reacts mm. the way he does. So, Yeah, um,
1: I think it, it, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think Wilford kind of says, you know, that he, he mentioned something about um, you've you've had company, you know, you've had people around you your whole life. And and Wilford makes the point of saying, well, you know, I've pretty much been alone. Um, you know, and then and kind of just trying to highlight, I think, that the grass is kind of sometimes the grass is greener the other side, and what you think you want um you don't actually want. Um and I, I kind of like that when Curtis gets to the end, he's actually realised that although he's done this journey specifically to get to the end uh to sorry to get to the end i mean to get to the front of the train um it's it kind of hasn't really done anything it can't it it hasn't really changed anything um everything is still the same society on the train will still continue um because as uh, wilford says you know they've they know what happens when there is no effective leadership that is when the cannibalism starts um as soon as the leadership kind of comes into force and there are rules and you abide by the rules and society has certain statuses for certain people and this is kind of what makes a in inverted commas good society um you know where you have the weak and the poor and then you have the the uh, the strong and the wealthy, and everyone coexists because there's always that balance. And it's 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 a movie that, that, well, he talks about it. He talks about sustaining balance. They talk about it in the aquarium that that is why they have sushi two times a year to sustain balance, which is a nice foreshadow to the actual true nature of the collaboration between um, Wilford at the front and Gilliam at the tail, trying to just to sustain this societal balance um i i find that really and i think i think you're absolutely right i think we could talk about this and the themes in this movie for 30 hours like, yeah. there's, there's there's so much depth in this movie that a lot of people i think would just write off as oh it's just a standard action movie on a train and it's like well no it's not it's so much more than that it's actually quite genius in that there's a movie that you can continually go back to and get something additional out of it, I think, each time you watch it. And I've only watched it twice. Mm. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I've watched it a hundred times and I've got something unique out of it every time. But I genuinely think you could watch this movie again and again and again. And at the end of it, you could come out and think something completely new about your experience or peel off a different layer of all of these kind of political and, um, societal and religious and you know all of these themes and layers of this movie that are, are so complex it's not in your face about it it's not you know chucking all these themes and, and, and expecting the, the, the viewer to kind of pick them all up it's all very subtle um, but I think that's what I like about it it's it, it's just a very interesting commentary on society and, and the politics of um, you know like you mentioned earlier uh stephen the haves and the have nots um which is something that I think anyone in the world can you know pick it up and, and understand how that um ha- you know how that works in their particular country or i just uh, i've i feel like've i've burned myself out <laughs> but i um, you know i just i feel like And, you know, you mentioned we've talked about Curtis specifically and and about how I I genuinely he is this de facto leader, but he's not a hero. He even admits at the end that he does not see himself as a hero. Um, He was he tried to cut off his limbs um, and he was a coward and he failed. And he doesn't actually become a hero until he sacrifices himself, um, until he jams his arm in to save Timmy, the little boy uh octavia spencer's uh character's child who's been taken at the start of the movie um and that's something that he would never have done before um but he he does it he he stops the um the the great engine um and and sacrifices himself in the end um and then he truly does become the hero
0: yeah and i think if you're gonna have anyone give a monologue like we need at the end from Wilford here. Ed Harris is definitely the go-to guy. He's so understated of of his uh, laid-back tones of just what you needed for a character Wilford. And when you find out Wilford's not really the big person in charge, it's always been the engine is the one. And there's a number of interesting facts that Bong even added to his character that are already brought up. I mean, the fact that Wilford is bisexual. And he's uh, apparently had a relationship with Claude, who's the Eggman. Um, and also, he's responsible for Mason, who's the pregnant teacher. He's uh, that's his child, yet his one supposedly is his engine. That's mm-hmm. all he truly cares about. And it's when you see him talk about his engine that you can see that love for, that he has for his creation. Um, so much the fact that he's willing to just do some horrible things just to maintain it and as we've mentioned already he uses small children to replace parts that don't work and it gives the film also one of its most creepiest moments um when they open up the larger engine the main sort of engine part and then one of these children we see taken at the front appears from like a side panel and just clambers into the machine and then just disappears it just oh it haunts me haunts me every time i see yeah. it um
1: but... it's almost like he's in a trance or he's like hypnotized or. Because he's not responding to his name, he just knows that he needs to get out of the panel, walk to the big thing, get in, and then... I mean, not, to be honest, I, I'm still not entirely sure what the reasoning for him doing that was, but it is it is haunting, you're absolutely right, because he's not responding, he's just like a zombie.
0: I don't know, you assume that he's been brainwashed like everyone else, at the well, time. maybe he's, he's yeah. strung out and um, chronic, like... Uh, yeah. Like our security expert is so.
1: Oh, I I didn't think of that actually. That Seems yeah. Seems everyone
0: that... else is on this film when they when they get yeah. hired. see See, <laughs> the upper class. It's not just like it's not like you know crack and something there uh, for the lower classes. Everyone's apparently drug of choice in this film is this toxic waste uh, residue that yeah, uh...
1: Which, uh, which is good to make bombs. Uh, apparently, which is yes. which is quite interesting because that's the reason why they've been hoarding it. Um... So it's
0: like meth, just highly volatile to make
1: <laughs> yeah because nam goon uh it, he he says um you know uh, uh and this is not verbatim but you know this is this is why i've been hoarding this stuff it's not because i'm an addict even though technically he is an addict but he's he's actually got a master plan um which i kind of that, like
2: that, i mean that's that's one of the things i love about this film that the whole way through you think him and his daughter are just drug addicts and, and and they are you're right but actually this is going to play into something else this this is a two-hour movie yeah and there's so little fat on it everything means mm-hmm. something everything everything is very deliberate you talked about the backstory to, to to one character that we meet for five minutes that things that have never come up but, but that's, that's the work that bong because i think bong um, and he wrote the screenplay with someone else, didn't he? I mean, he took the idea obviously yeah. from the band, doesn't he? But but every everything here is 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 planned meticulously, and and everything means something. Everything that you see at the beginning of the film or during the film will pay off somewhere, whether it's thematically or dramatically. And it's just and, and yet it's all been compressed into into two pretty fat three hours yeah. i can't think of you said you know you said early on elwood that this this film just sort of drives on forward doesn't it um
0: I, I think so it just, i mean just i'm not i'm not through it
2: i'm not gonna be harvey weinstein but you know th- there could be a couple of bits you could you could trim off but on the whole you know that, that would that would that would ruin the image but it just it's just it's just so densely brilliant <laughs> and, <laughs> yes and, 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 and this is a film I wasn't blown over by when I first saw it. And it's actually a repeated watch. And maybe I'm a different person now. Maybe I'm in a different place, able to watch things in a different way. But I I, I, I also haven't watched it a hundred times, and I probably never will. But there is there's stuff to take out of it. You could watch this ten times, at least, I reckon, and get something else or follow a different path down it. Um, and, and, you know we've all done it you know we've all applied a social political religious even in this conversation today we've all put different ways of viewing and understanding this film just just in this hour and a half or whatever it's going to end up being five hours who knows
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> sorry um, i talk a lot <laughs>
2: that's fine it's fine um, <laughs> we wouldn't invite a guest or not to talk that's true and, and today, the deaf mute on the show. The, <laughs> <laughs> the deaf mute is not saying anything, but,
0: but we do have a guest. So, but um, anyone else that we want to to bring up at all?
2: I just think everyone should go and watch it. And if it really is out on Blu-ray in a week or two's time, we should seriously suggest it because it's it's a bizarrely hidden gem
1: um i'm just going to double check actually my uh my order uh that i put in just to just to actually clarify the uh the date that it uh oh go away amazon um
0: because i put an order as well for it so yeah it says it's arriving
1: on tuesday the 26th of may
0: oh, i'll um, arrive on monday
1: oh it won't because it's a bank holiday
0: Okay, um, Amazon going to make a special.
1: <laughs> Let's hope Amazon deliver on uh, on Monday, but it says here Tuesday. But either way, um, by the time this episode comes out, it will be available for people to go on, not necessarily Amazon, their uh, DVD slash Blu-ray retailer of choice, um, and buy it. And everyone should because this is the first time it's available on physical media. Here in the yep. UK. It's been on Amazon Prime and it's been on Netflix. It's no longer on any of those because I looked, because I tried to find it. Um it came off Amazon uh a few weeks back. So um so yeah. You can
0: rent it. Yeah, yeah but, um... you
1: you can rent it. I rented it on Chili uh today. So it is available on Chili. Um but yeah, people people should get out there and, and definitely buy this. I'm looking forward to seeing um if there's any, you know, additional special features. On the Blu ray, such as a making of, or, you know, maybe a, uh, oh well, I was going to say a commentary. Um, I, I expect that um, Bong probably doesn't do many English language <laughs> uh, commentaries uh, on his movies, but uh, I don't know, may, maybe there will be something. Um, I think it would be quite interesting to see, you know, the, the process that actually went into making this. I'd be quite interested to know more about that. Um, but yeah, I, highly recommend this movie um and and it's like we've kind of said it's probably nothing like any of your regular listeners would probably have considered because obviously you guys didn't really consider it um but i I certainly think you know don't don't discount it um that there's a there's a lot to love about snowpiercer um and it is definitely well worth your time
2: so just 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 on on what's on the Blu-ray. So the DVD is just the film. On the Blu-ray, there's a there's a there's a fun bit. There's a bit about the transferring of it from the comic to the screen. Um, little interview with Chris Evans and Tilda Swinton. Oh, nice! And most excitingly, there's an animated prologue. So sort of a, an animated section setting up the um, setting up the world.
0: Oh. What Weinstein wanted to put in then? The, the... Well,
1: let's let's hope not, because you know whatever he <laughs> wanted in there was probably crap. Um, <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting because you mentioned about the Snowpiercer TV show um, that well, I know it's out in the US at the moment. Oh, but it's... I think that's set, I think that's set eight years before this movie is supposed is set.
2: It's so... it's much it's much less time after the event. Yeah. I thought it was eight years after the event, so, therefore ten years earlier than this. I, I think they're different things. Yeah, now, I'm, all, I'm always up for anything for Connolly, so mm. I, I will. I, I will probably check that out, but I think we need to view them as completely separate. Oh, entities. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think I'm, I'm glad you explained Erwood earlier, actually, about why why it just didn't come out over here, but it did come out in Germany bizarrely, because um, I was wondering because that that's been a troubled. Um, a show that's been cancelled and uncancelled and moved between networks. Um,
0: for, it's already having it's, like problems all over the place. I mean, the, the main showrunner has just been forcibly removed. Um, at the same time, the lead actor has decided to do that stupid thing of saying, I want to play the Black Columbo, which is just the most infuriating thing when we have anyone say, I want to be... The black whatever i want to be the black james bond and stuff and it's sort of like why do you want to be um an ethnically swapped character why don't you push to be your own sort of character i mean it you can take what james bond is he's a super spy you can have a black super spy you don't have to have black james bond just because a franchise is there the same way you don't have to have a black columbo i mean i don't think anyone's really crying out for another Columbo to be honest I mean, and, and if there was right into the ground
2: if there was it would be Mark Ruffalo who in my mind is the only person who could ever play Columbo other than Peter Falk but that's a wow. completely different show
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you want to if you want the third best Hulk to to take
1: on oh don't say he's the third best
0: what I'm sorry um he's he's just there just uh the the only time it's exciting is when he starts being Mark Ruffalo. That's oh, the only time oh, no, I'm I get excited. So no. where's
2: Lufering? Where's Lou faringo in this?
0: He's first, obviously. He's, he's first. first. second? I mean, Luferino is a man. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just a strong man painted green, and he's more convincing every other Hulk I've seen, and he voiced every Hulk <laughs> that followed. So. Yeah, so, 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 who's second? norton Norton put a lot into that character and just so, truly understood what so banner, a banner is. It's a banner, it's a banner. Eric Banner is fourth. Yeah, because Eric Banner, I don't know what movie Eric Banner is. He's just too intense to be <laughs> playing this, this goofy of guy. He just looks angry all the time, like he's just going to go and smash things to pieces. Like he's, He was
1: um... just channeling in a Hulk. Yeah.
0: Yes, but he seems to be like the Hulk, even when he's not being the Hulk. He's sort of like... <laughs> It's sort of like when Stan Lee tries to say it's the hook on The Simpsons. He's like, "He's not the hook. I'm the hook." <laughs> That's what I feel when I'm watching him. But um, yeah, um, Jeff right. Conley, okay. Simpson, Wait, how, how do we get here? <laughs> uh, because we we talked about people wanting Black to be the Black, Black. Columbo. But yeah, yeah. Um, Jennifer Connelly. Very excited to see her. She's from the same cloning program as Adam Scott because both of them have stopped aging. Adam mm. Scott was in Hellraiser Four, and he still looks the same now as he did back then.
1: Awesome. As does uh, do As does Mister Keanu Reeves, by the way.
2: Yeah, that's because he's preserved in some. Yeah, well. <laughs> but but obviously we do remember Jennifer Connelly much younger than we probably should do because in Labyrinth she was only like twelve or thirteen. So um.
1: Uh, probably... I mean, she was a bit older. I think she was fifteen, sixteen-ish, but she was still uh, dancing with David Bowie and his very yeah. tight trousers um, which is in my memory forever
2: <laughs> yeah that's another podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yes she doesn't she doesn't seem to age or if yeah. she does she yes. seems to get better with age so yeah.
0: absolutely
2: good steer away um, from weinsteinisms there
0: but um if we do like snowpiercer just to obviously round things out what would you pair with it i mean for myself i would say someone check out something like uh sunshine um obviously the wandering earth and if you want to see another sort of obsession of uh, an inanimate object check out event horizon those would be my personal picks but i don't know about you guys what did you would you match up with this
2: so just... shall i go, shall i go first in case hasn't prepared one
1: i, I have not <laughs> i'll be honest
2: so i've gone down my normal route right i've tried trying to trying to theme them um i picked two other Asian films set on trains um <laughs> gee fact, which one did you pick Stephen? well you'll know one of them one of them's very easy so it's um and funnily enough quite linked to this a so train to Bassan, um a film we've got to talk about on this show at some point elwood um it's i'm sure it's, it's i don't know if you've even got around to watching it yet but it's still on your on your shame pile um
0: it's, it's on the it's on the sky plus and it, it, it's not going anywhere
2: okay right so train to Bassan Yes, it's a zombie film. Yes, it's a horror film. But guess what? It uses the the the, the whole societal structure thing of, of first class, second class, rich and poor on the train as 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 a thing as well. Um. So so it's actually a really good match, although completely different genre. Um. So it's a modern day horror film. Fan bloody tastic. Um. The other one is a film from nineteen seventy five called The Bullet Train
0: oh Sonny Chiba Uh,
2: with Sonny Chiba Um, let me tell you if it's about a mode of public transport that's going to explode if it goes too slow you might understand where another film got its plot from
1: (laughs) oh is is it Something starring aforementioned Keanu Reeves, <laughs> he, by he a does
2: indeed. Yes, yeah. so, so, so it's it's a silly Japanese seventies disaster film, but it's set on a train, and and you're right, it has got Sonny Chiba in it. Um, but yeah, so the Shinkansen, uh, the the bullet the bullet train uh, the famous Japanese bullet train is going to blow if it goes too slow. So um, <laughs> <coughs> there's that, and just as a final thing, I, we haven't really talked about her, um, but the, the the young the young girl in the film, the Korean girl, um, go our Sung. um, sort of, it's one of these, there's this, 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 this I don't know what there is. There's a breeding program or something in South Korea where they keep getting these young, fantastic young actresses who all grow up to be superstars. And there's hundreds of them. And she, and she's yet another, um, so people might have recognized her from being in the host, but she's gone on to be a big star. However, just before she made this film, she was in a little tiny indie film called Duet. And you highly unlikely to be able to find a copy of it. But um, she basically she's a she's a young sort of Korean guitar playing studenty girl on a rebound from a from a Babylon goes on holiday to England and meets a meets a British guy and tours around the u k with him it's really sweet delightful little indie sort of romantic drama-y, comedy musically kind of thing and she speaks english throughout it um so just to show quite how talented she is she she's um she's actually a really decent actress and now she's um what else was she she was in the um she was in the korean version of life on mars as well although not as the lead character but yes those three films two on trains and one just to highlight one of the people we didn't talk about tonight
1: um may i put a suggestion forward
2: i don't know well, actually, i don't know do you think i would? i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um
1: well no i i just uh just while you were talking i've just had some thinking. I've just had that doesn't make any sense. I've just had some thinking. I'm sorry. That I'm, it's quite late. <laughs> my, my brain is starting to turn to mush. Um, I just wanted to kind of suggest. And there's a couple of reasons why I want to suggest it. But I think the main reason is I believe it's just appeared on UK Netflix. Um, I don't think it's been on Netflix before here, um, but it's a movie from 2006. It's called Children of Men um it's uh alfonso cuaron uh it's like a sci-fi um sort of like a futuristic sci-fi thriller um it's basically um set in the future uh like most good films are um and it's, it's basically babies have stopped being born um and and the human race is is kind of basically going towards extinction because no one is having babies. So everyone is aging. It's an aging population. Um, and then this this young girl turns up out of nowhere and she's pregnant. Um, and it's um, Clive Owen, who's a British actor. I don't think he's been in much recently. Like I say, this is this movie is what's well, crikey, 14 years old. Um, uh, but it's it's an excellent movie Um, it's got similar themes um, to Snowpiercer in a couple of um, respects but otherwise I mean it's not it's not exactly the same but I think if you enjoy something like Snowpiercer because I think Children of Men obviously talks a lot about society and and political themes and obviously this this young woman uh, she's also a woman of color as well um, in in this society where she is a a pregnant woman, and she is literally the last of her kind. Um, and Clive Owen's character has to essentially protect her um, and get her to safety. Um, so I think that that might be quite an interesting companion piece, maybe for this.
2: And bizarrely, I brought it up two episodes ago for some <laughs> other reason. I was talking about who um, was I talking about? Someone being like Clive Owen, one of the oh um, the. Uh, the chap in who, who led um main character in bittersweet life i said well, has a similar career trajectory to, to, to Clive.
1: yeah whatever <laughs> happened to clive owen like it's just like disappeared hasn't he he was everywhere at one point and but,
2: but yes that's another fantastic sort of dystopian near future it's, well, that's great girl. he's
1: got that wonderful long tracking shot oh it's 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 sublime i think it's it's really and it's so underrated as well because i think it really flew under the radar for a lot of people because even now when i say to anyone have you seen children of men they're like what <laughs> so uh, the fact it's now on netflix opens it up to so many people so highly recommend if you've got a netflix account go and grab children of men it's the obviously it's best two hours of your life will be snow piercer the second best two hours of your life will be children of men
2: And Alfonso Cuaron is a great director.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. A a proper visionary director as well.
2: And um, made my favourite Harry Potter film, which (laughs) which will put paroxysms of disgust amongst the true Harry Potter fans. But, yeah, (laughs) proper scary, those uh, soul-sucky things, whatever they were
1: called. Oh, the uh, – are they Dementors.
2: Dementors? Dementors, yeah.
1: I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. I do apologise.
2: No, um, but that that, that film. Just it is film, quite film, scary, yeah. The film yeah. Is totally different to the others. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Elwood, you falling asleep?
0: Yeah. No, 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 no. You talk about Harry Potter and I was like... Yeah, well... find an adult conversation to have. <laughs> um... Right. Well, this brings us to the end of a, a, a surprising in-depth episode of uh, the Edson Cinema Film Club. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you, to special guest, Em, for joining us. And, uh, Em, where can people find your words? Well,
1: thank you so much for having me. Um, I It's just been a genuine delight to come on and, and talk about Snowpiercer with you both. Um and yeah, if anyone wants to find me and uh, my podcast, um, it is Verbal Diorama. Uh, just search for it in your podcast app of choice. Um, you can also find me on so- all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just at Verbal Diorama. Um, I also um, do some writing bits as well for film stories, um, which I also quite like to mention too. So I do little writing bits for film stories online. And I also write a column Um, for their magazine as well so uh yeah just a little bit of a shout out for film stories because it's uh it's an independent publication so uh it's always nice to give it a bit of shout out but um but yeah otherwise um feel free to (laughs) listen to my podcast i'm sorry i'm so rubbish at promoting myself it's just is that that's kind of the point of having a podcast is to be able to say listen to my podcast it's really great but I really struggle so (laughs) Uh, but if if you would be so kind as to listen to my podcast that would be wonderful thank you very much
0: Fantastic. Uh, Full links are of course over on our blog uh, which you can find at asiansilmerfilmclub.wordpress.com and on there you can find our complete archive of episodes, you can find Stephen's Dark Dark Sides of Asian Cinema, Uh, you can read David Brooks' Movie Vault Review and you can check out the mixtape compiled by team member Steph. Uh, All that good stuff is on there. And uh, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Twitter at, a- at AC Film Club, and we're also on Instagram as well. And uh, whether you happen to be to us, make sure you hit the like and subscribe buttons and maybe leave us a review. It all helps with the raising the profile of the show. And uh, I also have to say thank you to uh, our show sponsor for tonight, uh, yespleasevintage.com. Check them out uh, for all your secondhand and restored needs Um, definitely worth uh, giving them a look as we mentioned at the start of the show Um, Stephen it is your turn to pick next so where do we go next
2: well I was torn because I would forgotten it was my turn So, while preparing for the show tonight, I I had three films that I was thinking of talking about. One of them was Save the Green Planet, after we talked about it last week, or two episodes ago now, I think. I suddenly realised I don't own a copy of the DVD, so I've now bought that, and I was thinking, let's talk about that. But then I thought, we're doing a lot of Korean films at the moment.
0: (laughs) <laughs> then I thought, you as you Christmas. I got a
2: <laughs> And then I thought, yeah, because this could become the Korean cinema. For, for, for a podcast that didn't cover a Korean film for 10 episodes, we've now done it. I then thought, maybe I could introduce you to some Hu um, Xiao um But after the Edward Yang disaster, I've put daughter of the Nile on the back burner for a little while so what I thought I'd do is <laughs> um, the third choice and the one that we're going to go for is um, uh, one of our earlier episodes we talked about the Pang Brothers and the yes. Eye uh, I'm a huge fan of the Pang Brothers and I think they are f- when everyone ever talks about them they always talk about oh they guys that did the Eye well they've made tons of other films both together and individually and I'd like to talk about their follow-up to the Eye which also in um, stars Angelica Lee um, called Recycle so I'm hoping you've got a copy of Recycle or you're able to get a copy of it it's a kind of um, supernatural fantasy film um, uh, so yeah, with sort of, yeah it's 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 a beautiful film I haven't watched it for a long time and I'm wondering if it still holds up so yeah the, the Pang Brothers Recycle
0: I was so sure when you were like giving me that spiel that you were going to go we're going to cover I too So,
2: (laughs) or or the third eye, or the fourth. Charles, the the, yeah, no, the other eye films aren't worth seeing. But um, I really like. I really liked Recycle. Um, It's going to be one of those uh, revisits where I'll probably be happy or incredibly depressed.
0: Fantastic, Uh, yeah. Pang and oxide—they're definitely worth always revisiting them, especially as. They had a lot of excitement when they were first. Obviously, we had like the release of the Eye and Bangkok Dangerous. So, apart from unless you like really following their career, they sort of fell and burned the radar. So it's always fun to see what you've been missing.
2: They, yeah, they really haven't done a lot, which has made it out of Southeast Asia. Um, although they've made a, a handful of really fantastic genre films, and they're a bit like M Night Shyamalan, you know the they do like a twist ending (laughs) it's it's um they're they're, they're visual stylists who who, who i enjoy and you know you've got to love it one of them's called oxide right it's just the best name ever
0: cool um well thank you as always uh to everyone for listening we'll also be covering recycle on our next episode um thank you again to em for joining us and hopefully you come back and join us again for another discussion on something
1: sure absolutely
0: um and thank you of course my co-host mr stephen palmer
2: pleasure as always sir
0: but until next time thank you for listening and um look after yourselves out there and remember to wash those damn hands good night
1: 昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて歩き